The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus's I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of his word, the Bible. In the previous four episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus's I Am statements found within the New Testament. In the previous 10 episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus's I Am statements found within the New Testament. It is my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, 
clearly draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition as the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of Kings. In episodes 1 and 2, we completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek, regarding God's revelation to Moses, and by extension to his people of God's character or name. In part 3, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22 regarding Jesus' I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part 4, we looked at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John 4. In part 5, we began to look at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. In part 6, we continued to examine John 6, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part 7, we took a side road and looked at John 7, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water drawing ceremony to proclaim that he was Messiah and to invite believers, saying, quote, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, unquote. In episode 8, we looked at chapter 8 with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, quote, I am the light of the world, unquote. We also saw in chapter 8 Jesus make the axiomatic logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus' identity as I am. In part 9, we looked at John chapter 11 where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. In part 10, we looked at Jesus' statement, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd, as well as I and the Father are one. Now in this episode, we turn the page to John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, which introduce our cast of characters in this story. Quote, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick, unquote. Now, right off the bat, things get interesting. As you will recall in one of the initial episodes, it was the habit of the Jewish people to name their children according to some event or special characteristic which was central in their life. In this case, as it turns out, the name Lazarus means, quote, whom God helps, unquote. This definition is certainly coincidental given the events soon to come in the story which 
almost everyone is familiar with. One would almost conclude that it is if God had a plan in waiting here and which got inspired into naming Lazarus. Uh, certainly it would be difficult to imagine getting more help from God than being raised from the dead. Secondly, Jesus had a very close friendship with Lazarus, enough to which it is said that Jesus loved him. Verse 4 gives an important revelation as to why Lazarus was sick. Quote, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby, unquote. Here I'm reminded that many, including Mr. Ash, would look at anyone who saw themselves as a devout follower of Christ, i.e. a Christian, who was sick or dying, and say, Aha! You see, God doesn't exist. Jesus isn't real. If God existed and Jesus was God, then no Christian would ever be sick, and they certainly would not die. Instead, this and other verses remind us that everything that happens is according to God's sovereign will and purpose to glorify himself and to move his redemptive plan forward into its conclusion. In this case, Lazarus' sickness and eventual death was an appointed plan designed to glorify God. Since Jesus is God, Jesus would glorify himself in an ontological sense by raising Lazarus. At the same time, Jesus would give glory to God the Father in an economic sense. Verses 5 through 10 give us more information. Quote, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him." Unquote. Here, again, we're told that Jesus had an extremely close relationship to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. On the physical-temporal basis, one would expect that the moment that Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, that he would have run full speed immediately and healed him. Better yet, we should expect that since Jesus is God and knows that Lazarus will get sick, Jesus should just hang out within arm's reach of Lazarus and keep him from ever getting sick to begin with. Instead, Jesus, knowing that Lazarus is sick and is in fact 
and in fact that Lazarus will die, Jesus waits another two days until he acts. If Jesus was a doctor today, Jesus would be sued for malpractice and maligned as an uncaring person. This is because we have been incorrectly taught that God and or Jesus are here to serve mankind, when in fact it is mankind who is here to serve, honor, and glorify God. So the fact that Jesus waits is an intentional act to accomplish what has already been laid out in verse 4. Quote, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Unquote. Next, we have the mention of Judea. Judea is a region within the southern portion of Israel. Since Jesus suggests returning to Judea, one could logically conclude that they are presently outside the region. Secondly, Jesus' disciples are somewhat guarded about the prospect of the return to this region, since it was only a short time ago that the Pharisees sought to stone Jesus for blasphemy. They assumed that a return on their part would likely instigate another confrontation which would lead to Jesus and one or more of them being killed. When it comes to Jesus' statement about walking in the day versus stumbling in the dark, it seems that he is referring to the divine timing of his ministry and crucifixion. In other words, his disciples are concerned that the Jews will kill Jesus if and when they return to Judea. Jesus is saying that the preordained timing and plan of God is such that it is not yet time for him to die. Just as when it is daylight and one can see, the timing is such that it is difficult for one to stumble and fall as a result of lack of light and ability to see. At night, the timing is such that because of lack of light, one can and likely will stumble and fall. More importantly, because Jesus is God, nothing happens unless he allows, plans, and volunteers for it. God is in control. Thirdly, we should not imagine that Jesus is only referring to that earthly daylight versus darkness. The larger issue is one's spiritual status. If God has not opened our eyes and given us discernment via his spirit, then regardless of what time it is, we are by definition in darkness and we have already stumbled and fallen. Under these circumstances, it is impossible to find our way and we are lost. On the other hand, if so be by the grace of God we have been redeemed, then despite the greatest earthly darkness, we can and we will walk in his light if we walk by faith. As it turns out, we see this exact theory borne out in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. Quote, 
This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, unquote. In verses 11 through 16, the conversation continues, quote, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then saith his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Unquote. So Jesus euphemistically tells his disciples that Lazarus is sleeping, and the disciples take Jesus literally. When Jesus suggests going to wake Lazarus, the disciples protest this, since sleeping or taking a nap is beneficial, particularly when one is sick. However, Jesus is not referring to literal sleep, but rather physical death of the body, which has the appearance of sleep. In any case, Jesus clears up the confusion by telling them Lazarus is dead. What they likely do not know is that Jesus intends to raise Lazarus from the dead so that, number one, God may be glorified, and two, that the disciples' faith in Jesus will be strengthened. Despite this, Thomas, who is at, later aptly named Doubting Thomas, proposes that they, i.e. the disciples, should go with Jesus so that they can all die together. While it's not clear if Thomas was the sole member of the Eeyore Club or other disciples joined in, the fact is that all accompanied Jesus back to Bethany. Our story progresses in verses 17 through 20. Quote, then, when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house, unquote. What we learn here is that Jesus, who is on his way to Bethany, has now reached Jerusalem, which is 15 furlongs, or just under two miles from Bethany. 
All total, four days have passed since Lazarus has died. When the word reaches Martha that Jesus is in Jerusalem, she goes to meet him while Mary remains in Bethany. Beginning in verse 21, Martha begins to converse with Jesus regarding Lazarus having died. Quote, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know, and even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day, unquote. So, on the one hand, Martha, quote-unquote, knows that Jesus can at any time ask God whatever he wants, and God will give it to Jesus. On the other hand, Martha is upset because she believes that Jesus' proximity to Lazarus contributed or caused Lazarus to die. Either this, or Martha believes that Lazarus died because Jesus was not motivated enough to stay close by and thereby heal Lazarus and prevent all of their grief. In any case, the word translated quote-unquote no carries the idea that Martha possesses a confident assurance of Jesus' ability Thus, in the end, perhaps Martha correctly understands that the real issue is whether Lazarus's healing and or resurrection is a matter of whether or not it is God's sovereign will and purpose, not his ability. In any case, Jesus masterfully cuts to the chase and sets the stage for his proclamation yet to come by saying, quote, Thy brother shall rise again, unquote. Of course, Jesus is referring to what he himself intends to do before the day is up, while Martha believes that Jesus is reminding her of what will happen in the very distant future when God restores his kingdom. Once again, Martha has a confident assurance and expectation that God will resurrect Lazarus and all those who have died on the last day. In this respect, Martha shared the theology, belief, and hope of the Jewish Pharisees who held that there would be a physical resurrection of the dead on the last day. The theology of the resurrection of the dead grew out of various passages from the Old Testament, including Psalm 16, verse 10, quote, For thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption, unquote. Or Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, quote, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength, unquote. In this verse, Lord and Jehovah are both Yahweh, or I am. 
Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5. Quote, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, unquote. Again, in this verse, God is synonymous with Yahweh. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, quote, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live, unquote. In this verse again, God is synonymous with Yahweh. The word wind in the original is ruach, translated spirit, as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, which says, quote, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Unquote. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 12, quote, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, unquote. Here again, God is synonymous with Yahweh. Secondly, the confident assurance of the resurrection arose from tradition. Then and now, Orthodox Jews would observe Tefillet HaAmadah, or, quote, the standing prayer, unquote. This was a prayer recited three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, standing there with one's feet firmly together, facing Jerusalem. During these prayers, there are always three blessings which are cited. The Avat, which is praise, thanks to God for his kindness to their ancestors. Kedusha, which is praising God for his holiness. And finally, Gevura, which is praising God as the resurrector of the dead. So clearly, if you are reciting a prayer three times a day, every day, wherein you praise God as the one who resurrects the dead, then God resurrecting the dead is going to be as familiar and natural to you as knowing your ABCs. Going back to verses 25 and 26, we receive the statement and revelation which we have been waiting for. Quote, Jesus said unto her, I am, ego I may, the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Unquote. Once again, I am, ego I may, I exist. I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is. I am the resurrection and the life. This means two things. 
One, Jesus was and is the agent of all creation. This is the first statement made by John in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, unquote. Jesus also sustains all creation, as stated in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Quote, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, unquote. So here, in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus reveals that he is the only mechanism by which any person will be resurrected. Without Jesus, there would be no resurrection. Jesus is God to whom Martha, Mary, and Lazarus had prayed three times a day, giving praise for their eventual resurrection on the last day. The issue was and is that in order for the resurrection to be to eternal life and fellowship with God, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and all mankind must place their faith in Jesus as Messiah, as God, and as the resurrection. As it stands, apart from an abiding relationship with Christ, through faith, every man's soul is dead in the sense that we are separated from God. Once, by God's grace, that fellowship is restored through faith in Christ, man's spirit is made alive and shall, as promised, never die. This is true even if the physical body is dead. The $24,000 question was and is, for us, like Martha, Believest thou this? So Jesus says, quote, I am, ego I may, the resurrection, unquote. But the second thing this verse emphasizes is Jesus is saying, quote, I am, ego I may, the life, unquote. You will recall that we began our study of I am in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where God reveals himself to Moses. In particular, in verse 15, we read, quote, And God said, 
moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations." Unquote. Here, God, I am, declares that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Testament commentary on this verse, Jesus, who is the I am, states the following, quote, I am, ego I may, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, unquote. Luke gives us the parallel to this in chapter 20, verse 38, quote, For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him, unquote. From these two and others, what we learn is that when it comes to the part of man which really matters, his soul or spirit, that soul or spirit is always alive from the point of conception going forward. It doesn't matter what the condition of the physical body is. Thus, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lazarus, were all alive, and God was still their God. God is the God of all his creation, including the saved and unsaved. The difference is that God chooses to redeem those whom he chooses according to his grace, mercy, love, and kindness, and they will inherit eternal fellowship with God. Others, God chooses to condemn according to his righteousness, justice, holiness, and love, and they will know eternal separation and wrath. God chooses to purchase his chosen through the finished work of Christ. In this exchange, we get Christ's righteousness, which we don't deserve, while Christ gets God's wrath, which we all deserve. Our account in John continues with verses 27 through 35. Quote, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, the master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then, when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, 
she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, unquote. So Martha does believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and she goes to get Mary, who then goes out to meet Jesus. As soon as Mary meets Jesus, she has the same reaction as Martha, both of whom were upset because Jesus was not there to heal Lazarus before he died. When Jesus sees both Mary and the Jews weeping, he is moved with compassion and weeps himself. This amply demonstrates the full measure of Jesus' 100% humanity and that he can and does relate to our everyday needs while at the same time he is 100% God. In verses 36 through 40, we read the following, quote, Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Unquote. So here we see the ongoing disbelief and disconnect with many who were doubting who Jesus is. As Jesus instructs Martha to have the stone which covers Lazarus's burial tomb removed, Martha feels it necessary to remind Jesus that Lazarus has now been dead four days, and as a result of decomposition, there will be an extremely foul odor. Jesus counters Martha with his own reminder that there was a pre-existing purpose in Lazarus's death that they and others would see how God is glorified in what Jesus will do as God. A careful research into Jewish culture and historical beliefs also reveals that the fact that Jesus waited four days to resurrect Lazarus was not an accident. A study of the Talmud and the Mishnah reveal numerous very specific rules and traditions regarding physical death. In particular, the Jews believe that upon death, the soul hovers around the physical body of the deceased for three days in an apparent desire and attempt to re-enter the body. 
on the fourth day, the soul somehow realizes, based on the condition of the physical body, that re-entry to the body is impossible, and therefore the soul departs. Consequently, the Jews believed that resurrection was impossible after the third day. So, it is reasonable to expect that Jesus was aware of this Jewish tradition and belief. Further, it is reasonable to believe that this was largely why Jesus waited until the fourth day to raise Lazarus. And the reason is that Jesus knew that those who witnessed the resurrection would in fact attribute the resurrection to a miracle much more so. The fact is that Jesus as God could and can resurrect anyone at any time, regardless of one day or a thousand, and regardless of pristine corpse or nothing but dust. Our episode continues with verses 41 through 46. Quote, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done, unquote. So because Jesus is, I am God, and thus able to create from nothing or raise anyone from the dead, Jesus calls Lazarus' name and orders his soul to re-enter his body and for both to come forth to life. This is nothing less than a preview of things to come. Had Jesus left out Lazarus's name and instead limited himself to saying, quote, come forth, unquote, then every person who ever died in whatever state, they would have been resurrected to life and would have come forth. This is exactly what Jesus, as God, will do at the appointed time in future. One day, Jesus will call with a loud and commanding voice, telling all those who have died to come forth. This first wave of resurrections is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Quote, 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first." Unquote. The second wave of resurrection is then described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Quote, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, unquote. The only question left here to ask yourself is to which group do you belong? Do you belong to the group who have seen or have heard those things which Jesus has done and you believe on him? Or do you belong to that group who have seen or have heard those things which Jesus had done and you simply go your way. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 12. Now, if you have any questions on God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com Thank you for listening. The world falls